this is Charlottesville Tomorrow. Charlottesville Tomorrow is a nonprofit organization engaging the public on critical quality of life issues so we make informed choices for our community's future. Visit us on the web at seavilletomorrow.org. On November 7, 2017, voters in the Samuel Miller Magisterial District go to the polls to elect their representatives to the Albemarle County School Board. This recording is Julie Zink's September 22, 2017 interview with challenger Julian Waters. Waters is challenging incumbent Graham Page. Mr. Waters, thank you for participating in this interview with Charlottesville Tomorrow. The complete audio recording and written transcript for this interview will be available online. Information from this interview will be used in the compilation of the nonpartisan voter guide being produced by Charlottesville Tomorrow. Charlottesville Tomorrow does not endorse any candidates, and our goal is to provide information to the public so they can make an informed vote on issues primarily related to land use, transportation, public education, and community design. As you are aware, the first two questions you will be asked have been provided in advance. For the others, you have been provided only the topic in advance. All school board candidates will be asked the same questions. We ask that you keep these questions confidential until all candidates have been interviewed. Each candidate will be provided an opportunity to review the excerpt selected for, their, for the voter guide before its publication. Are you ready to start? Yes. Great. Please describe your past experience that qualifies you to be on the Albemarle County School Board. So for the past 13 years of my life, um, I went to public school here in Albemarle County, so I think that's a pretty big qualifying factor. Um, the reason that I say that that qualifies me is because it makes me well-suited to speak to the, to the issues that students and teachers are facing every day in the classroom. It's a perspective that we don't always have, um, and it's one that I think we would, that would be valuable in a policy-making role. Uh, also, for the past three years, I've served as a policy advisor to Albemarle County on, uh, on programs such as the new High School 2022 program that's going to be rolled out. Um, in coming years, and also um, on one one policy in particular that aimed to give students opportunities to earn confirmed credit hours um, other than seat time measured hours, uh, which I think was a great way for us to expand opportunities for students to earn confirmed credit. Um, aside from those qualifications, uh, I've worked with I've worked with teachers at Henley and at my at, at my high school of Western Albemarle um, to create um, a drone model aviation club. My personal hobby is um, model aviation, and so the opportunities that I had to go out and share those experiences with other students in sort of a mentorship or teaching role gave me an understanding and an appreciation for for the struggles that, that those students and those teachers go through in the school system as well. Sorry, I wanted to make sure the door was closed. You're good. Question number two. What is your top priority for action by the school board during the next four years? Sure. So, obviously, when, when we look at Albemarle County, when we look at Albemarle County Public Schools as a whole, there are a plethora of issues that you could be that you could consider to be critical issues. For me, when I look at the overarching um, the overarching challenges that we face in the county, um, I see the difference between our urban communities and our rural communities, and often that breaks down to to how do we serve um, disadvantaged communities, and often m 
minority groups um, in a way that will create equity within the school system for them. And for me, we can best achieve that by, by expanding public preschool access. If we look at expanding public preschool access to every single student in the county, we're looking at creating, at closing the achievement gap from the root. We're looking at um, breaking down social, physical, emotional barriers that could per be perpetuated from a very young age. Um, and we're looking at, at really providing a, 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 a much more well-rounded educational opportunity for students starting at a very early age. So my number one priority on the school board will be expanding public preschool access to help create equity within Albemarle County. Question number three. What are your priorities for the Charlottesville Albemarle Technical Education Center and should KTEC build a new facility at Piedmont Virginia Community College? Sure. So um, KTEC has been such a great... Um, so, so it's just a great asset to our community in a number of ways. It's a great partnership between Charlottesville and Albemarle County. Um, and it's also a wonderful way for us to, when we look at, there, there's a large focus, um, especially when I, when I was at Western, on having students you know, going the normal track to a four-year college or what's considered the normal track to a four-year college. Um, and yet, when we look at, um, at trade skills, uh, especially in the state of Virginia and around the nation, those are jobs that are in high demand, and there's low there there's a low number of workers and a low number of students who are choosing to go into those positions, even though they are viable simply because either there aren't options available to them for that for that education, or because of other factors. Um, so I think that K Tech has done a great job of leveling the playing field somewhat in terms of giving those opportunities to students um, and members of the community. Um, when we look at building the new facility uh, at PBCC, I think that what we need to do first is we need to do studies to gauge the amount of interest, the amount of enrollment that we would get from that, um, you know, taking the time to study what the impact and what the opportunities would be as a result of that. Um, but I would be in favor of it if it gives students more options and allows us to reach more people um, who can have a positive impact on our community and on our, on, on our local economy. Question number four. Why do we have persistent achievement or opportunity gaps? How do we ensure student success is no longer predictable by student race or any other cultural, economic, or social factor? So this is one of the one of the topics that we talk about when we look at public preschool, but also um, when we're working on the high school 2022 project. Um, and I think that a lot of it comes down to 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 really the opportunities that we're offering students. So when you look at students in the urban ring versus students in rural areas, um, rural schools versus urban schools, the, the number of opportunities or the amount of attention that gets paid um, to those schools, it, for, for, for me, from what I've seen, um, there is a little bit of a discrepancy. And I think that that discrepancy causes us to to, to, to see those fluctuations in how students are performing in a, in, in a very well-funded school with a school with a lot of, of high-quality teachers there and a rural school that might not be able to attract that, the, the same amount of money, the same amount of grants. Um, when we look at uh, the recently closed Yancey Elementary School uh, down in, in Esmont, the southern part of the county, um, when, when I visited there last year, um, you know, the, the kids were there. They were excited. They are like any other elementary kid that you'd meet, but... Um, but the school itself was, was run down. And when you compare Yancey to Woodbrook Elementary School, which has about the same makeup of, of disadvantaged, economically disadvantaged students, um, Yancey had received no school improvement projects, whereas Woodbrook had received, if I recall correctly, over 50 school improvement projects. Um, 
in recent years. And so when you look at that and you see, well, these are projects that are being made with the intention of advancing opportunities for students and creating an environment, of learning environment that's healthy and that, and that encourages student success. Um, I, I think we really need to do a better job and take a step back and see what, what are the discrepancies that are causing us to, to, to not make every single opportunity available to students in one school that might not be available at the other. Question five. How should the school division ensure student success in the world of work and college beyond academics? Sure. So when we look at exploring student success in a more holistic perspective, um, I, I think that we really need to, to, to see this as an opportunity to bridge, to, to bridge out and, and make connections within the community. So when we look at, in elementary schools, for example, uh, we have a lot of connections with UVA when it comes to bringing in student teachers. And so I think that's a great opportunity when we look at students work college beyond when they pass through secondary school, when they're getting up into to an area where we're expecting them to take control of their own life and their own learning, that it's an opportunity to connect them with internships, with learning opportunities in the broader community that, that really creates them, that really creates for them a foundation in Charlottesville and Albemarle, in, in, in the greater Virginia community, um, and gives them an opportunity to succeed not just in their school environment. I know that for a lot of students, when they leave high school, um, you know, they're, they're, they're leaving a community that they become very comfortable with. And that can be damaging somewhat if they're thrust into something that they're not entirely familiar with um, and they kind of defend for themselves. So I think that it's a great opportunity for us to, to reach out and to connect with UVA, to, to connect with internship opportunities in Charlottesville, Albemarle, um, and make those opportunities available for students. Question six. Name both a revenue item and an expense item in the school budget that you are concerned about and tell us why. Sure, so um, when it comes to revenue, uh, we, we've seen um, state revenue over, over the course of many years. Um, it shrunk somewhat in specific areas, um, and when we look at federal revenue, that's obviously shrinking. So I'd say that, that non-local revenue sources is something that I'm concerned about and something we need to see step up, um, if for no other reason than just having greater shared fiscal responsibility between the local, state, federal governments so that we all have a shared interest um, in the in the advancement and the success of our students. When we look at um, expenditures, um, one, of the more, one, one of the items that I'm more concerned about when we look at expenditures is transportation. I think that right now we can do a lot of, 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 of good work towards reforming our transportation. Um, when we look at the amount of money we're spending on buses or on transportation routes, I think that we can take a step back and look at how can we reform this, how can we make it so that school buses are, aren't going through a single neighborhood, but with it perhaps we're designated perhaps we're designating areas within a neighborhood or outside of a neighborhood that allows the school buses to go more to go more freely through the areas so we're spending a lot less on transportation and that we have a lot more options for for, for other options in the budget. Question seven. What would you change about teacher compensation and performance measurements if elected? Sure. So um, this is the, 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 this is really a tough one for me. Um, I I'm, I'm, I'm not going to name anybody here, but but um, I, I knew a teacher who last year he was he he's a first year teacher. Um, he was rooming or not not rooming, but he was sharing a house uh, with another teacher in Alma County, um, and then uh, be, be, because they simply couldn't afford to to live by themselves. Um, and when we look at when first year teachers aren't being earned, are are, are not earning um, an income that allows them to live in our community by themselves. That, that's shocking to me. And especially more shocking when we look at 
and compare ourselves as a county to other areas such as other surrounding counties, Fairfax, um, Fredericksburg, those areas. Um, and we say that, well, we're, we are competitive in terms of salary when it comes to them. And, and, and we say that's enough, just to be competitive. I don't think that it's acceptable for us to settle on an issue like teacher pay. I don't think it is at all, because teachers are the, the single greatest asset we have available to us as a public school system. That's the truth of it, plain and simple. And when we talk about teacher pay, we really need to make sure, before anything else, on the budget next year, I would love to see us go through an entire, like, complete revisit of teacher pay. We make it so that our number one priority on the budget is ensuring that we have infrastructure and that we are paying our teachers a living wage. Because if you start with that, if you start with making sure that our teachers are fairly compensated, that they can live in our community, that they can sustain themselves, then what you're going to see is you're going to see a much more diverse talent pool when we're looking at recruiting new teachers, recruiting new administrators. Um, and we're also going to see that teachers are more invested in the work that they're doing. I'm not saying that teachers are not invested, they're incredibly invested, but the payoff that they're getting from their time investment is simply not enough. Uh, we're not doing enough to compensate them. Um, and when we talk about performance metrics, um, I really think that we need to stop using uh, the Virginia Standards of Learning um, as performance metrics for, for, for teachers. Um, I think that it's an unfair way to measure teacher performance. Um, and I think that when we look at, uh, especially when it comes to professional development with teachers, that peer review is an excellent opportunity for us to expand and increase um, how, we, how we're measuring the performance of teachers. I think that it's a much more uh, a, a, a much greater way to get a holistic sense of how the teacher is doing um, in the school community, in an academic perspective, how they're doing with their lesson planning and their interactions and their teamwork when it comes to cross-curricular lesson planning. Um, and so I think we need to stop looking at it on just how are the students performing on tests, how are they performing on the SOLs, but look at how are they performing in the community as a whole and get peer review um, and have, a, have, have more of those options. Question number eight. What would you like to see changed about the way the school board and the superintendent do business, both at its meetings and outside the public eye? So I think that right now, the way that the school board and the superintendent um, operate is, it, it, it is really very productive. I think that we have a great relationship when it comes to our superintendent, Dr. Pam Moran, and the school board. I think they do a great job of working together. When it comes to the school board by itself, um, I think that the board as a whole needs to do a better job of listening to the input of the community. I think that a lot of times um, when you look at, at the board like that um, and you see some of the issues that they've dealt with in, 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 in recent months, um, and per particularly at the last meeting when we had um, the, the title of the NCL Elementary School was being transferred um, to the Board of Supervisors. And the vote happened. There was five minutes of discussion of the vote on the matter of transferring it, and then the vote happened to, to, to make that exchange. And then after that, um, there were at least another 10 minutes of discussion that indicated to me that the school board as a whole did not understand the impact of what they were voting on. So I think that in general, the school board needs to be more deliberate and more careful in, in the actions that it takes and that it also needs to do a better job of listening to the input of the, of the community. I know that when we talk about um, redistricting, when we talk about making changes at some of the more rural schools around the area, the community members a lot of the time feel like their voices are not being heard. Um, and I think we need to do a better job as a school board and as a county, really as a whole, of, of showing the community that their input matters and that we're taking that and we're trying to find every single way, every possible way to accommodate that in a realistic 
expectations. Question nine. If elected, what will you do to help our community move forward in the aftermath of this past summer's violent demonstrations, and how will you seek to best represent and effectively serve our economically and racially diverse communities? So education has such an incredible position in this. Um, when we look at the public school system, we have not just an opportunity, but a responsibility to create a new generation of, uh, of culturally, um, of socially uh, responsible citizens. Um, and so I think that it's really our duty to make sure that we're not leaving anybody behind. Like I've talked about before, when we look at rural versus urban communities, rural versus urban schools, there can be somewhat of a discrepancy. And so I think that we really need to do a better job when we look at our, at our rural communities. A lot of times that's our economically disadvantaged. Um, a lot of time they're, they're going to be, um, to, it, it, it's going to be a mi minority population. Um, but we need to do a better job of serving every single person. Um, and I say that we do that by ensuring that we're making equitable investments, such as expanding preschool access, that we are focusing on new initiatives, such as uh, the new culturally responsive teaching initiative that tries to, to, to encourage, um, that tries to, to, to help teachers be more aware of, of the students and the, and the culture that, the, that they're teaching around. Um, and I think that we really need to do a better job as a whole of understanding what our role is in all of this. Um, I think it's easy for us to say, oh, well, school's a great opportunity for us to create students who are responsible. But what does that actually mean? Um, are we going to have communities inside the school that are, that are fostering um, diverse perspectives and, and fostering real conversations? Or are we just going to say that on paper and not actually have anything change? So I think that what we really need to do is we need to work on professional development with our teachers to make sure that they are all um, encouraging their students and working in their classrooms to make a difference and to, and to foster diverse perspectives. Um, that we're really doing everything that we can to have our counselors, have our administrators, um, and student leaders in the schools work with the student body and ensure that, 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 that there, there's pull on both sides, that there's diverse perspectives, that there are audiences that are there, that are listening, that are really engaged. Uh, because I think a lot of the time we, we, have, we have people who are willing to stand up and raise their hand. Um, but they're not actually going to go out and, and do anything as a result of it. Um, and so, when, especially when it comes to serving um, our, 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 our minority communities, um, that happens all too often, where we, have, where, where we have subsets of the population that are put down or that are looked down on or who are treated incredibly unfairly, um, even by their peers in school. And no matter how much we can say, oh, we're doing a lot to fix that, from my 13 years of experience in the public school system and from my past four years in high school, we have not done enough to fix that. There are still way too many of these issues that are prevalent. Um, and so we need to start from the, from the root. It may take a generation of students. Hopefully it won't take that long. But what we need to do is we need to start with a responsive and, a, and, and an engaged community to really create a generation and a, and, and a society of citizens who are responsible and who are caring. Question 10. What are your priorities for the school division's future facility needs? So one of the big issues that's come up um, in, 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 in the past year or so is, and you've definitely heard this about building a, a new high school out in Rio to help accommodate the overcrowding from Albemarle High School. Albemarle High School is incredibly overcrowded. In fact, um, when I visited there last year, um, they've actually taken part of the basement and transformed it into, in, 
into classroom space simply because they just they don't have enough space to accommodate the number of students that they have, um, and that's not something that we're going to fix by by redistricting. Um, it, it's just not because when we look at Albemarle County, uh, having Albemarle High School is the only high school in the urban ring, um, and then Monticello and Western are a little bit more on the fringe um, of that population growth area. Um, it's it's not feasible for us to look at redistricting as the only option to, to help solve Alamo's problems. And when we look at expanding our infrastructure on on that property, we don't have enough space to accommodate that population growth forever. Um, but I think that before we look at building another high school out there, uh, out at at, at Rio, the location that that's been set aside. Um, we need to look at what the results are from the current bond referendum because when we when we talk about building a new high school, the talk is really having another bond referendum to get the money to build that high school. Um, and so what we need to do is we need to look at how are we managing the projects that we've already passed from the current bond referendum and use that to help spur public confidence in building a new high school. I think that it's absolutely the right move to make, but that we need to be very careful when it comes to a budgetary sense of how are we going to do this in a responsible manner that doesn't betray our trust to the community, um, that tells the community that, yes, this is what we're going to do, and we've been able to follow through on it, so we're going to be able to do this and serve you as better, as best as we can. Um, because when we, we tell the community that we're going to build a new school or that we're going to try and serve them better by alleviating overcrowding, um, Though that's something that, that they see and they're going to expect that we're going to, to put our all into it. Um, and so we really need to show them that, that from what we've done in the past year and the past few months, that's really going to have a positive outcome for them. Um, and when we look at infrastructure as a whole, um, especially when we look at school improvement projects, such as we had uh, from the bond referendum th this past year, um, it, it seems to me that, that all too often when we're looking at school improvement projects, when we're, when we're looking at expansion projects to help alleviate overcrowding, um, we're, what we're really doing is we're, we're playing a, a, almost like it's a game of catch-up, um, where the overcrowding happens and then all of a sudden we rush and try and, and, and build that expansion areas so that there's no longer any overcrowding. And I, what we need to do is we need to explore a system where it's a rolling system where you have a set of expansion projects that takes into account the needs of growing populations or shrinking populations, um, and how do we consistently accommodate for that instead of having to play that catch-up game? Because having to play that, that game of catch-up over and over again, it does a disservice to our community, it does a disservice to our students, and a disservice to our teachers. Um, and so when we look at five years out, planning five years out or two years out, and saying this is when we're going to do this, and the population is expected to increase and enrollment is going to give us 50 more students by 2020, then let's have that in a long-term plan instead of saying, well, they're overcrowded now, what are we going to do about it? I, I, I just think that it, it does a disservice, and we do a disservice to ourselves by, by not trying to see that in advance. Question 11. What are your views on the role of technology in education and what issues related to technology should the board be responsible for addressing? So when we look at the people, the, the students that are growing up um, and who are graduating this year, next year, graduated this past year, um, it's really the first generation of learners who are who are born with the technology, the, the technology that, that we have today. They're the most technologically literate people um, on the earth. And so with that, with great power comes great responsibility, right? So we need to make sure that what we're doing is we're encouraging and fostering proper use of the technology. Um, 
and we talk about that a lot. And there, you know, you have seminars, you have discussions in school about how are you going to be responsible with the technology that you have. You know, make sure that whatever you post on Facebook or on Twitter or Snapchat, you know, everybody's going to see it. It can stay out there forever, even if you think that it's going to go away. Um, and I'd say it's about 50-50 as to whether or not people actually take that to their heart and whether or not that actually rings true with students because um, all too often you have a generation of people who, who they've got their iPhone or they've got their laptop and you know they're connected with everybody. They don't think that anybody's going to try and do them any harm. Um, and if I'm being entirely honest, I don't know what the best approach is. To, to solving that problem or to making sure that they are actually aware of, of the dangers and, and, of, and of how to appropriately use that. But I think that, that what we're going to do as a county with the new laptop initiative um, gives us an opportunity to really, to, to really manage how students are how, how they're interacting with technology and it gives us an opportunity to show them how responsible use of that technology can be rewarding. Um, and so hopefully that can help them transfer over into their personal lives and how they manage themselves privately online. Because when they're at school and we have the filters on the, on the school internet, um, or when we have the laptops where they're only allowed to do certain things, um, obviously when they go home, if they're in the privacy of their own houses, uh, there's a lot more freedom. And that's responsibility that they need to understand. Um, and that from my experience, high school, middle school, not necessarily elementary school, but, but definitely when you get to be middle school or, or a high schooler, that's responsibility that a lot, of, a lot of students really don't understand. And so I think that one of the things we really need to do is work with, with parents in our community from a very early age, from elementary school, and help them to really understand the necessity of bringing their child up so that they are aware of what responsible use of technology is. And that will help us as a school system to have students who are, who are really able to use technology in the classroom effectively, to have teachers who can engage with students who are technologically, who are technologically literate um, and, and have them be able to, to responsibly use their devices in class to help spur on education. So I think that it's a great opportunity that we have, but we need to focus on the responsible nature of encouraging proper device use. Thank you, Julian Waters, for participating in this interview with Charlottesville tomorrow. Thank you.